Shout out to everybody who came out to Caroline's Comedy Club in New York City. Let's sell out the Fox Theater in Oakland. Smart, Funny, and Black has come into the town, and we got town business. You know what it is. So I will see you all February 22nd. Get your tickets at smartfunnyandblack.com. And all my L.A. folks, we're going to stay on the West Coast for our next show March 20th at the Novo Theater. Get your tickets also at smartfunnyandblack.com. And anybody who's not in those cities, make sure you continue to check smartfunnyandblack.com to see when I'm coming to your city, either doing stand-up or doing Smart, Funny, and Black. We got a lot of places that we're hitting up this year, and we want to make sure that we get you in them doors. Welcome to another edition of Small Doses. Sorry that we've been having late postings. I'm still getting used to this new schedule at The Real. And sometimes your girl is just dead beat, y'all. Like my father. So... We're really just trying to get into the mix of things, but we're going to do better. I promise we will do better. This week's episode, side effects of being an empath. This is long overdue, y'all. Rebecca's looking at me like, is it? Yes, it is, Rebecca, because Rebecca was all up in here saying that empaths is like some woo-woo, hippy-dippy shit. (laughs) That's not what I said. I said people who describe themselves as empath. That's a different thing. Is it? Personality type of people say, I'm an empath. That's like... Mind you, Rebecca rolls her eyes when she says it. I've never rolled my eyes when I said I was an empath in my life. I cry when I say I'm an empath, but I've never rolled my eyes. It's like Rebecca's saying it with the tonation of I'm a vegan. That's the tonation. Like, I'm a vegan. You know what I mean? Like, that's the energy that you're giving us. And let me tell you, from one empath... Speaking for all of us, Rebecca, we don't like that and we don't appreciate it. And you're a cancer, so you should know freaking better because you're probably an empath too. And you don't want to accept it. And you know what? We are empathetic to that because we're empaths. For the record, I'm literally talking to Rebecca and she's looking at her phone as I talk to her. It's very disrespectful. She knows I'm talking to her. And she's looking at her phone and her computer simultaneously. Ugh, putain. She's wearing a shirt that says France. So I pulled out the one curse word I know in French. Anywho, I felt like this was an important episode because I think that there's a lot of y'all who identify with like this. Even if even if the word empath feels too hippy-dippy or woo-woo for you, you feel like you just feel so much all the time. And it feels very overwhelming. And the word for that is Empath, and an empath is characterized as somebody who essentially can feel the feelings of others. And it seems very metaphysical, and it can seem something that's kind of otherworldly. But on a basic note, it's just having an incredibly high level of empathy. And we live in a world where that really, like, isn't necessarily a thing that people— our our world isn't constructed to, like, cradle those people. Right. Because we live in a world that has so much wickedness, so much shadiness, so much narcissism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Empaths are people who can feel all of that. And a lot of times the struggle is how do you manage not only feeling 
your own feelings, but feeling everybody else's feelings. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about really just the truth of it. Like, is empathy, is an empath a real thing? Rebecca, not so sure, but I am very sure. Let's drop a gem on them. And Rebecca. Rebecca, why do you not trust the concept of empaths? I do trust the concept. I don't have a problem with the concept. I'm just saying people in Los Angeles. I don't really get that kind of L.A. bullshit person around me. Like, the empaths I know are more so people who are... I'm a healer. That's what I'm... Blah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. It's the same people. People who call themselves a healer also almost always call themselves an empath. Someone has to call you a healer. You can't be, like, calling yourself... But that's what I'm saying. Wait. Jeez. I do. I do. Okay. So people tell me all the time that this show helps them in their healing. People have said that, you know, the stuff that we talk about on here has helped them to, you know, reach places in their own journey to awareness, to healing, to resolve and decision making, you know, so, but I would still say like the show is healing, not necessarily like I am venturing out in silks and caftans which is proper healing clothes, um, to heal. But I will say that I know that I'm an empath. Like, So first of all, if you're into astrology, that's where I've mostly heard empath. <laughs> Rebecca rolled her eyes again. I guys, I closed my eyes and nodded. Do you, but you don't do, you don't rock with astrology too tough, right? I'm fine with it, I'm not like. You don't swear by it. So here's the thing with astrology, like, I don't swear by it for everybody. Like, I don't think it necessarily, like, is necessarily applicable for everybody for some reason. But I will say for me, it ain't never been wrong. So it's kind of one of those things where you're just like, you know what? It, it, it gets me every time. Every time that there's some type of astrology reading or some type of, like, you know, that matches, like, personality shit, I'm always, like, trying to prove it wrong. I literally am trying to be the Juliet to the Romeo. And I'm like, no, we're star-crossed, apparently. But fuck that. We're going to defy. And without fail... Without fail, the shit comes true. Every time. So I decided to like, stop fighting it, you know? But for other people, like, they find their guidance in other ways. Like, Reiki has never really, like, felt, like, legit for me. You know, like, tarot is hit or miss. But astrology, for me, has always been, like, a very true guidance. And I say that to say that it fits into... Also, the fact that I'm a Cancer and Cancers are traditionally described as very loyal, very creative, empathic with psychic abilities. So I think this is less about arguing the point of like, is empathy, if are empaths real? And more about like Rebecca really getting in touch with her true Cancerian self. Because you're so grounded and earthy that you're like, let's relax. Okay. Because the Virgo in me is like, let's analyze. <laughs> and that's when we have breakdowns. But um Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. <sighs> Today's jam dropping is empath versus, versus drama queen. Which when people don't necessarily understand like your kind of sensibilities as an empath, you can get misread as a drama queen. So when I was younger, I will tell you that story later in that one time. So 
Empaths are people who basically have a high level of sensibility of other people's emotions. And there's this concept that says that you can literally feel other people's emotions, their anxieties, their fears, um, their sadness, etc. And so when you are somebody that is basically this porous, open wound, you are considered like a tortured soul because you're basically taking on everybody's energy and it can be very, very overwhelming because you have your own energy and you're combusting so much of trying to manage your own energy and everybody else's that it can feel just very overwhelming and it can feel like a burden that you can't really manage. There's also this idea that like as an empath, you want to help. So you're taking in all of this negative, 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 and you want to help, but you can't fix other people like they have to fix themselves so it can feel like a conundrum that you can't get out of and it makes you a lot of times end up in a place of despair ever so often where you just feel hopeless and helpless and you don't really know why it took me a long time to figure that out a drama queen is somebody who is always making a big deal about everything. They are always making something that's happening into an entire issue, into an entire moment, etc. And it looks like they are always making it about them. An empath is always feeling everybody else. A drama queen is always making it about them. So there's a difference between selflessness and selfishness. But a lot of times it can look the same because when you are taking in a lot of emotions and it affects your mood, a lot of times your mood can affect everybody around you. So it feels like, damn, why are you always this? Why are you always that? Why do you always have to disrupt? When you're a drama queen, you get the same critiques. Like, why are you always making it a thing? Why can't you just let things roll off your shoulder? Why can't you just like let that go? The difference is in being able to acknowledge like when you are being a drama queen or are you an empath? So you have to really take a look at yourself. Like, am I somebody who just makes everything into a thing? Or am I somebody who just feels everything deeply? Either way, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to answer to that every time. It's exhausting for you, exhausting for the people around you. So it becomes something that you have to figure out how to manage. And it becomes something that you have to really like go to therapy to discuss because you have to try and understand what are the things that trigger you? What are the things that really take you down the road as an empath that make you get into a place where you're not really able to like interact with people the way you want to? And if you're a drama queen, you got to find out, well, why is it that I blow everything up and need attention all the goddamn time? Why is it that even the littlest things prick me in a way that make me feel like I need to woe is me and be a damsel on the tracks? Either of these things are real and they're usually attached to some level of trauma or just the type of personality you are. But I like to think that there's ways to manage them. And even in my darkest empath moments, I really feel like, you know, therapy has helped me in coming back to the center, which is acceptance. And whether you're a drama queen or an empath, that is really the only way to manage in this world without either killing yourself or everybody around you.
So for the record, I chose this topic today because I'm really struggling right now. And when I was talking to my therapist, it and she was like, you know, I think really it's just your empathicness is just overwhelming. And I think part of that is too, like I'm on television every day right now. And I'm, I'm giving, 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 giving. And don't get me wrong, like I'm getting great feedback back, but... You know, I'm also just like interacting with a lot of people and, you know, it's just like a different balance to my world. And on top of that, like you start to realize or I've had like realizations about certain people in my life, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole thing about being an empath is like you just feel things like so, so much on a hyper level that it can feel manic almost. It can feel very um, extreme and it's such that you have to wrangle yourself out of it and that can really like not necessarily be an easy thing to do on your own. So let's ask her some of these questions because it seems like y'all was ready for this one. First question. As an empath and a woman in a male-dominated field, for you comedy, for me music, how do you stay open artistically and in our full self-expression while closing off to bad energies and egos that we naturally pick up on as empaths, sensitive, caring, and also female individuals? It's a great, great question. I mean, I feel like so much of it ends up just being like having an awareness about your boundaries. Like the key for empaths, for anybody, but especially for people who are just like highly sensitive individuals, the key is boundaries, right? It's like building your own Panama Canal. And, you know, putting people through locks. Like, I know for me in my dating, that's where I fuck up. I don't put people through enough locks. So in the Panama Canal, in order for you to get through the canal, it's a system of locks. So basically, a boat will come in, and then a gate will come up on one side. And then on the other side, a gate will come down, and it will move you from that first lock into the next lock, which has more water. So then the gate behind you will come up. And now the gate in front of you will come down and it'll move you again into the next lock and which has more water. And this is how you go through the canal by getting through these different locks. So I know for me in dating, like I don't take people through the locks in. I don't do that enough. So I end up like basically crashing and burning because I try to like run through like with just like a wave of emotion and we end up hitting a wall because I haven't properly taken you through the locks and filled up enough of the space with actual substance to like rise into the next place. So like that's my work that I'm working on and my patience because I'm such an intense person that I'll just be like, I feel this and move. But some people simply just aren't even able to truly move that fast. And so then it starts getting weird and next thing you know, like you've either crashed and burned or you're back on the other side. So boundaries ends up being a really important thing, especially in your work life too, because if you're an artist, you know, you have to really like make sure that you're not letting someone else affect the tools that you use to get your artistry out there. If you're an empath, you're obviously going to be using your, your emotions, your sensibilities. You know, like I'm a great DJ and I'm a great comic because I can feel the audience. I can literally feel the energy of the crowd and it'll let me know which way to go with my next word or my next record. 
So I feel like when there's a bad energy there, it's like you got to put up the gate of the lock. But it can't stop you letting the water flow for you. And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think it's literally just creating a boundary of like, oh, that's what this person is. I know what they're about. And that's why the word that I'm going to keep coming back to is acceptance because it's the thing that I'm always like having to realize like I can't change that person. I can't fix that person. I can't move that person. All I can do is do what I'm doing. If they decide to be influenced by that, so be it. If not, I got to keep doing what I'm doing. But the tendency for an empath is to try to figure out like how can I get this person on board with what I'm with where I'm at. Even if they're negative, it's like how can I swing them positive? And it ends up being a futile effort, like avoiding joining the Borg. So much of this episode is like, I'm talking to y'all, but I'm talking to myself. Because people will tell you like, oh, once you get money or once you get success, et cetera, like everything gets easy. And it's not true. It just gets different. It doesn't get easy. It gets different. I have a whole different set of issues now than I had when I was broke. You know, than I had when I was grinding. Than I had when I was unsure of my purpose. Now, I'm not broke. I'm not grinding. I mean, I'm well, I'm not hustling. I'm grinding. And I know what my purpose is. But okay. trust me, a whole other set of shit comes along with that. And wherever there's shit, there are feelings. So it's all just trying to manage your feelings and how all this outside shit affects you. So when this person, when you're talking about like an outside person that's a negative person and letting them affect you, it still ends up being grounding yourself in, I know what I'm about, and I know where I'm going, and I got to put up a protective bubble around them that keeps them from infringing upon the energy that I'm giving. How How do you do do that? that? For some, there's like literally visualizing that person in the pink bubble. Like, Reiki people will tell you this, psychics, like literally visualizing them in a pink bubble of protection. For some, they'll say like ground yourself every morning. I'll get into that because I know there's going to be a question on how do you turn this shit off. I'll I'll get get into that. that. Um, And then I think for others, it's just literally making the conscious decision of like, I know what this person is and there's a wall. Now, I know that one of the hardest things, like again, I will say one of the hardest things is as an empath, admitting that you can't fix a situation. You can't change that person. And we are not the kind of people who be like, fuck that. Some people are really easy at doing that, yo. They can just be like, fuck that person, it's fine. We're not necessarily programmed to do that. It ends up being a skill that you have to learn as a protective measure. Because it ends up saving you a lot of frustration. Next question. As an empath, I tend to be so good at understanding people and seeing situations from so many angles that I fail to advocate for myself and or my needs. How can I meet someone where they're at without abandoning myself and what I deserve from the relationship slash friendship in the process? Or is that even possible? I mean, it all goes back to the same thing, right? Like... Figuring out how to put yourself first without feeling selfish. Figuring out how to put yourself first without feeling immodest or conceited. You know, because I think that's the thing. Like, you want to feel humble. And you want to 
as a as an empath, like you're naturally consider yourself somebody who is for the people. So you don't want to feel like you're not for the people. I have absolutely extended myself beyond necessity to help people because I I cringe at the idea of being considered someone who's not helpful. It really like like the idea of not being able to help somebody. Am I going to cry? No. I could though. I could. The idea of not being able to help somebody like it drives me insane. Like and then sometimes I think there's also even a level of like survivor's remorse for some people. You know, just this feeling of like if I got blessed with a certain level of privilege, like then I owe the world everything. everything. And you don't. You know, like you don't. You do your best. You do your best. And we live in such a state right now where everybody is so fucking judgmental as well. Everybody is doing so much finger pointing of what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And you just take that in. You take that in. I know a lot of people felt my interview that I did on The Breakfast Club, my last interview, who are empaths. I know y'all felt it because sometimes it's like you have anxiety. You're like, where the fuck is this anxiety even coming from? Like nobody is like being even... Nobody in my immediate circle is being mean to me, but like if you just feel negativity coming from any direction, it can feel just like overwhelming and you feel responsible for having to address that, for having to help that, for having to, you know, anoint or atone for that. And it's like, it's not yours. It's not your negativity. Like, I mean, people love to tell me, Amanda, like, why do you even respond to the comments? Like, why do you feel the need to respond to the comments? It's because... It is incensing to me for people to think of me as somebody who is not like doing their best to be their best in the world and helpful. That is such an insult to me. It's the worst insult. I'd rather you call me a bitch than that. That's That's not not an invitation to call me a bitch, but that's what that is. So I completely understand you like, and I completely understand this feeling of like, no, I need to be in service You know, and this idealism of I need to make people feel welcome and make people feel. And I know for me, like I've gone so overboard on that. And then I go overboard in the other direction where then people are like, oh, well, you're so intimidating and I can't approach you. And, you know, because I'm trying to like deflect um, any of the takers. Right. So it's a hard balance to find. And it's like working on how to fortify yourself um, in a way that still feels good to yourself. So, you know, and that I feel like comes from reading certain self-help things. It comes from surrounding yourself with community. Um, You know, I try to set certain boundaries for myself, like, okay, I can donate this much this month. (laughs) Or, you know, I also try to verbalize a lot to people who I know are not like that because they will also keep you in check. And remind you, like, that's That's not not your your fight. fight. It's not your fight. You know, like, and then you have people who, like, will definitely try and play to your emotions and try and play to that and be like, you're supposed to save us. You're supposed to save me. That's what you're supposed to do. And it's like, I got played so, I got played, like, for a while by somebody who was basically telling me that I needed to put up with mistreatment because it was my role to save this other person. And because of my like empathic sensibilities, I fed into that. And 
thought like, you're right. Like it is my duty to do that. Like that's actually like, yes, that is my service in this world. And it's like, but it, it's, it's not. And it took me a while. Like Brendan and Rebecca would literally be telling me this. And it took me a while to like really literally like stop and be like, no, that's actually not where you're needed. And at the end of the day, one of the best, easiest ways to weed out this shit is only help people who are helping themselves. And if you see them not helping themselves, cut the cord. Next question. How do we turn this the fuck off? In this day and age, we see everything and things get to me so easily. For example, I recently and accidentally saw a video of a poor animal being abused and I was a wreck for a week. I can't help but to take in the pain I see around me and though a blessing in some aspects, it is mentally draining. Let me tell you something. I really feel that in my spirit, I am meant to save every kitten, puppy, and hood nigga in the world. Like that is really how I be feeling. Okay. Okay. For real. So I get you. I watched the dodo and within 2.2 seconds, it is waterworks. Like, I, I mean... I genuinely don't even understand, like, the level of disdain and hurt that people cause animals, if I think too hard about it, will, like, (laughs) I will quit everything and become, I don't know, like, a carer at a panda orphanage. Like, I want to spend my 40th year on Earth doing a world tour where I'm in service to animals. Legit. You, you think, think I'm joking? joking? I've already, I planned this like seven years ago. Um, so I hear you. Like I'm watching the, the show Jack Ryan. I'm binging it on Amazon. I'm so deep in it. I can't let it go. And now I'm having anxiety attacks in the middle of the night. And I, I genuinely feel like my anxiety attacks are attached to something else. But I feel like watching Jack Ryan is not helping because it just keeps you like, like you're in it. And it's also like rooted in something that's real, which is the fact that America and European countries, you know, they create extremists due to their extreme xenophobia. And it is a toxic, just cataclysmic conundrum that is driven also by greed and gluttony. And then I start thinking about that and I'm like, what are we even doing here, y'all? What do we do? And I know that like, that's where the empath goes. If I can't help this, what, what are we doing? And then you just start feeling down in yourself. Once you reach hopeless and helpless, you're like, it's, it's a scary place. It's a scary place. I'm not a suicidal person, but I know how people get there. I know how people get there. Um, so I've been told that one of the ways to turn this off is called grounding. grounding. And that if you're an empath, that every morning you should... And, and for what it's worth, like what I'm going to describe right now seems very like woo-woo and like you got to have crystals and sage... But at the end of the day, what it really, really is, is you just creating mental strength. That's essentially what it is. And and this is one way that people have done it. 
Um, and it's basically starting every morning by standing in your space and closing your eyes and picturing roots coming from your feet through the floor, through the dirt, to the center of the earth. And what it's essentially doing is like giving you a mental picture of something that is essentially just grounding your mental in you. And sometimes, you know, we can't do that without like having a type of like frame of reference to give it. But what it's really doing is grounding you in you so that you're not so easily wavered or shaken by, you know, the winds that someone else is blowing in your direction or by, you know, some other type of trigger, et cetera, or influence. Then they say, picture essentially like an orb around you like a force field. And the idea is that you're essentially creating a protective force field around yourself. Now, are you really creating a protective force field? Some might say yes. At the end of the day, energy is energy, right? So there's a world in which you're mentally putting out an energy that is shifting the energy that you're putting out and it is serving as a force field. I mean, we don't know. Um, but if we're just going on like a layman's terms, you're mentally just deciding like I'm, I'm protected. protected. And sometimes just giving yourself that um, tent pole is enough. I'm protected. Then there's this concept of tethering, tethering, which is basically that like when there's energies going towards you that they basically, I mean, I, I picture it like a octopus tentacles, like, and some people have on armor. So that shit don't bother them. Like they're moving through the world with their armor. If you're an empath, you know, the, you, you try your best at creating an armor, but there seems to always be chinks in the armor. And the idea of tethering is that you consciously are like removing the suctions f that have made it through the chinks in the armor. And you're basically like saying, clear my space, clear my space. And again, are there actual tentacles? No, but it's you mentally deciding like, to put up a boundary that says, I'm not accepting this energy. I'm not accepting this energy. But so often it feels like one, that it feels dumb to do that because it feels like this is like me talking to myself or it feels like I don't have time to do that. Like I'm moving through the world, right? But these are the ways that people have told me, you know, that they manage and that they have instructed other people to manage. And I will say that it's worked for me when I'm committed to it. When I'm committed to it, it's work for me. I had to go to a hospital last year, early in the year. And when I walked in the hospital, I could feel everybody's pain in the hospital. And I was about to, like, have a breakdown. I could feel it. Like, I was about to start crying. I could feel all the energy in the fucking hospital. And I had to very quickly catch myself and, like, consciously say, like, you can't take that in. And, like, build, like, a quick little, like, makeshift, you know, like, force field around myself in order to take care of myself. Cause if I'm in this hospital and I'm crying and I'm, you know, so affected by everybody's energy, like I'm not going to have the energy I need to heal. So I had to like 
shake that off. I know some of y'all are listening to this and you're like, wow, she's crazy. You could say what you want, but like, these are the real feelings that I'd be feeling. And I know there's so many people that are listening to this that are like, yo, someone else feels like me. Because at the end of the day, if you're an empath, you legit feel like you can feel all the world's pain all the time and you can't handle it. And it feels so crazy. I'm crying right now. It can feel so overwhelming because you're like, why am I feeling all of this? And you don't know what to do with it. And some days you literally are just like overwhelmed by it. And people around you are looking at you like, why do you feel like this? And you're just like, I'm in despair. And then, and you're like, I just want a weighted blanket. At this point, I'm like, can I get a weighted tracksuit so I can just wear this shit all the fucking time? Because it just feels like you're in touch all the time. And me being on this show, I'm in touch all the time. And it was wild because this morning, someone who I don't know, who follows me on Instagram, just out the blue sent me a text and was like, protect yourself and ground yourself every morning. Before you go there, you need to do this. And before you come home, don't take this home with you. And it was wild because I don't even know this person. She just like sent that to me. And if you're an empath, a lot of times like you're very just in touch with the energies and uh, of the universe of things. And so things come to you. And a lot of times, like, it's not necessarily good things that come to you. You bring shitty shit that comes to you sometimes, you know, because you're light. So it's always dope when other light comes to you and br- and brightens your light. And so she sent that, and I texted I, I DM'd her back. I was like, how did you know to send that to me? She was like, I don't know. Something came to me and said to send that to you, but shit be coming to me. She was like, I was literally watching somebody else's live video, and it just hit me like, you need to send this to Amanda Seals right now. And she was right, because I really needed that this morning. But... You know, those are some of the ways that I've been told are like ways to like fortify and strengthen your mental and emotional self in the physical and metaphysical, whatever the fucks. But the other way is like sleeping, eating, giving yourself time to consider not doing something also productive. I've talked about that before. Like I give myself downtime to like process and decompress and sometimes people make it seem like that's you being lazy or you being extra and it's like no that's me being kind to myself and also like learning how to like actually be kind to yourself and learning now not to beat yourself up about what you can't fix and what you can't do and finding ways to like really learn how to talk to yourself in uplifting ways that help to preserve your your kindness, because as an empath, like that's really where you come from—a place of kindness and of of wanting to nurture. And when people fuck with that enough, it starts to feel ugly, and it starts to feel like it's a um, curse. And you don't ever want to feel that way because you can't change this about you. So, really trying to find ways to continue to uplift yourself and remind yourself, like, no, like this is a good thing. This is a positive thing. Even though this bad person was drawn to it, they were drawn to it because they were seeking something positive. And I know that and I understand that and I'm not going to keep beating myself up. Last question. How do we determine whether someone we're with is actually for us and just struggling with something or whether someone is toxic and because of our empathy, we just accept the toxicity hoping to help them? 
girl, boy, whoever. I mean, I think I, I mentioned this earlier, and I think it's a lesson that I'm learning. It's like if someone's not helping themselves, like in a real and actualized way, that's one. And two, if they're not making room for you, I think that's the other one. Like if you feel like you're always making room for them, like in the house of you, but they don't have a room to be empathetic for you in the house of them, then it's a one-sided relationship and you need emotional equanimity. And I think the thing that can be tricky is that if you're an empath, a lot of times you don't need as much from somebody else as they need from you. That's what it feels like. Because you get so much from giving that it can often feel like I don't really need that much from somebody else. I'm good with just a small amount of attention and appreciation. But you deserve more. And you, at the, at the very least, deserve what you're giving someone else. And I know that I struggle with what you're describing. I struggle with that so much because I get so much fulfillment out of helping and then it ends up being like a codependency. And then they drain you. They start to drain you. And if they're not replenishing you, then what do you do? You know, you end up giving more because you feel like if I give more, then they'll give. And that's not the case either. And it's not even your nature to be withholding. So it feels crazy to withhold. So if you start feeling like you got to do all this math in your head, that's a good sign of like, this is not the right person for me. It doesn't mean it's easy to step away. It doesn't. I'm not, I don't want to say that. It's not easy to step away. You're a giver. So it's not easy to step away. But it's really a reality that narcissists in particular and people who have gone through trauma and people who are not helped, who have not fixed their trauma are naturally drawn to people who can empathize with them. To people who can be a safe space for them. And I talked about this on The Real, but what ends up happening is that then you feel like we're both in a safe space. And since you're, if you're somebody who is continuously trying to better yourself and elevate, then you feel like, okay, now I can start, you know, sharing my ways of that with you. But if that person isn't genuinely trying to elevate or better themselves, then they resent you for you being that. They resent you for your empathy. And now they now start to make you feel small. They start to make you feel diminished. They start to try to use your, weaponize your empathy against you. And... It just ends up starting to feel like you're in this like typhoon of trash and toxicity. And the only way to get out of that for me, I've learned is you have to like have a breaking point. You have to decide what is my limit and then let that be that. And then they're going to come back and then they're going to break you again. They're going to break you again. And that has to be the limit. <laughs> There's like two limits. It's or more. But at some point there has to be like, this is the final straw. This is the resolve. And it ends up being when you realize and admit to yourself, this person cannot be changed by me. This person can't be changed by me. There is not enough love in the world. And I don't have enough love to change this person because this person has not decided to seek out the love of themselves. And that's really what it ends up boiling down to. Empaths have this seemingly bottomless vat of love to give. But it's, it, it does have a bottom. The bottom might not be nastiness. 
The bottom might not be shadiness, but the bottom ends up feeling like emptiness. And when you hit that empty feeling, it's like, that's when you start to feel hopeless and helpless. That's when you start waking up with anxiety attacks because you feel like you'll never get out of that feeling. And you start to feel like, well, how is this emptiness going to get filled up? And then you start wondering, like, I need love to fill this up because humans want love. That's natural. But people be so shady that you feel almost dumb thinking that you're going to be able to get love from people. And it can feel irrational, but it's not irrational. It's the human condition that you want to be cared for. And the fact that you are so caring and you are so giving, it is only natural that you would want that back. And so you got to somehow come back to the facts and come back to a place of, I'm not the only one who feels this way. There are other givers and I'm beautiful the way I'm made and I'm, you know, and living in my truth, there are going to be things that I have to do to preserve it. And it's almost like if you're a diabetic, you got to take insulin. You can't eat sugar. You can't do this and that. If you're an empath, you got to protect your space. You got to have boundaries and you got to put people through the locks of the Panama Canal. It doesn't matter that it's annoying It doesn't matter that it feels, it may feel like you're being disingenuous, but you, you start to feel, and it's taken me damn near 40 fucking years to realize this, but you start to realize it's not you being cut off. It's not you playing games. It's not you being disingenuous. It's you honoring the uniqueness of you. It's you preserving your power and, you know, and it's you being kind to yourself. And I struggle with this all the time. I'm saying it to y'all and I'm saying it to myself. And it's just your life's work. This is such a fun episode. Oh my God. (laughs) Is there a fun part about being an empath? I think there's a fun part about being an empath. I mean... I could feel corny shit a mile away because I'm an empath. I could peep corny shit a mile away. I'm like, ooh, that's corny. And, you know, when you're an empath, you can walk into a party and very quickly determine whether you need to stay or whether you need to have that Uber on deck because the energy, you just feel the vibe. You're like, "Mm mm-mm, not these vibes. Empaths are usually pretty good at interior decoration, right? Because you're feeling the, you know, the energy of a space. To feel the energy, the vibes of a space. Empaths, typically, I feel like empaths are great with animals and kids. You know? And I feel like that's always fun. It's always fun. If you can connect with animals and kids, I feel like, fuck everybody else. Honestly, at this point, I'd be like, yo, y'all don't like me? Puppies Puppies like me. me. Y'all don't like me? Babies Babies like like me. me. Chrissy Teigen's daughter, Luna, fucks with me heavy. Fuck y'all. My cats, Lando came and kissed me this morning. Because you know why? He know what's up. The trippy part about being an empath is that it takes people a long time, a lot of times, to truly realize who you are. Because they've never, a lot of times people haven't necessarily interacted with somebody like you. If you're really owning your empathy, your empathicness, like, there's a lot of people that just haven't met someone like you. 
So it can take a minute for them to really realize like, yo, you actually like are for real. Like you're a pure soul. Like you're really actually genuinely like a, a actual real like light. And the cool part about that is that you will have exes come out the woodworks for life with apologies. This is a very exciting time. There are redemptions for life. There are, you know, it, it, you never know when you're going to get it to. You get past coworkers, past friends that interact with other people. And then they realize by interacting with other people, like, oh, shit. Now, because now they have a control, right? Now they have like something to weigh you against. And they're like, huh, I guess she really was a good motherfucker. I just had never seen that before. And now I done seen it. Like a 27-inch scene. Believe it. People I like. Yeah. This week's People I Like is the counselor of the Starship Enterprise, Miss Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy is half betazoid and half humanoid. She is an empath by nature of her planetary birth. Now, Brendan is not a fan of Deanna. I personally am a fan of not only Deanna, but also the uniqueness of her unitard. Her onesie on the show was cut in such a way that it had a more fashionable lay to it than everybody else's. This is how she managed to pull Lieutenant Commander Riker, who was obviously the most handsome man on the ship. I think we can all agree that had Worf not had the Klingon forehead situation, he, he might have taken that, that title. Jordy. Uh, Close, close second. Okay? Close second. Shout out to my man, Mr. LeVar, LeVar Burton, Burton, the greatest guest on the show of all time. But I digress. Star Trek The Next Generation's character, Deanna Troy, is an empath, and they would literally use her when they would be talking to certain species of aliens where they felt like they didn't really know like where they were coming from. And so Deanna would have to tap in like, oh, oh they're they trying to come for us, y'all. Or, oh... They're afraid. And so what she would do is when like being the military wasn't really popping, she would use her emotions to connect with these other species. It would be honestly great if we did that in real time, like, but not like with evil intentions. Cause I'm pretty sure we have like military empaths. You know, the other empaths are the ones on minority, minority report. Fun fact also taught to me by Mr. Brendan was that the voice of the computer was done by the woman who plays Deanna Troy's mother, who, by the way, is hella annoying, on the show. So to all my Trekkies, there's that. And this is also top of mind because uh, Patrick Stewart, one of the individuals who I've yet to meet in the world who I desire to meet greatly. So I've met like pretty much all the black people I want to meet, but the white people are still like, there's a large number, especially the Brits. I haven't met um, Emma Thompson. I haven't met Ricky Gervais. I haven't met um, Gandalf the Great. Come on, come on. Ian McKellen. I haven't met, I never got to meet Alan Rickman. Gone too soon. I've never met, of course, like I said, Captain John Luke Picard of the Starship Enterprise. Engage! And he was on The View, 
And he told Whoopi that they would like to bring her back on his new show, Picard. So Guinan will be a reprised role. Very excited. Star Trek, another fun fact, Star Trek Next Generation, only thing my father and I have ever agreed on. The The Star Star Trek Trek Next Generation is the shit. Bonus question. How do you not get annoyed by some empaths' constant emotional ups and downs? You know what? This actually is a great question for my... That that one one time? (laughs) So, I never had, like, language to describe myself. And my mom is a Taurus. And my mom is also a West Indian woman. And my mom is also someone who's been through a lot of shit. So my mom is someone who doesn't have a lot of, like, emotions on the surface. She's a very um, stoic kind of person in that way. Like, she just kind of doesn't really emote. So here she is with this daughter who's just like, I mean, I'm a fucking fire hose, right? Right. And a lot of times I could see her frustration with the fact that I'm like this. And, you know, you know, like when you're a kid and you fall, where like a kid falls and they start to cry and you're like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Like my mom was, you're okaying me at like 14, you know, but it's like, no, like I'm telling you I'm hurt. Like, or, you know, my feelings are hurt. Like it's not a, you're okay. This really is where I'm coming from. But it's really like, she don't want to see me hurt. So it's just like, no, 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 no. And then it reached a point where I think my mom really thought that I was just wanting attention. And that when I would have these bouts of sadness and depression, that it was about me wanting attention, me wanting there to be, you know, affection, et cetera, et cetera. And so one time we were on vacation in the Cayman Islands and I went into one of my like despair bouts and actually this vacation was about maybe like nine months after we had went to Grenada and I had another, like I had a bout in Grenada and when we were in Grenada, she got like mad. Like, why are you just so miserable? And if you know West Indian parents, they love to throw out the word miserable. You're just so that miserable. Oh my God. You're just so miserable. You know, and when we got to the Caymans and the same kind of thing happened, she didn't like, she wasn't mad, but she was just like, yo, what the hell? Like, what is this? And I had to like find a way to explain to her, like, I don't want to feel this way. Like, this is not me trying to make you distracted from the beach. I want to be distracted by the beach. I want to enjoy the sun. I want to be excited about these sea turtles. But there's a darkness that has come over me. And I sometimes don't know where it comes from. And I know that for my mom, it was annoying for a number of reasons. But I think for the most part, it's very... Frustrating is not the word. It's um, like as a parent, it just feels like I can't make my child not hurt. 
And that I think my mom used to just feel helpless at the fact that like she couldn't do anything. Like I can't explain why I feel this way. So she can't like fix it. It's not like I'm mad because we didn't get ice cream. So let's go get ice cream. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I'm sad because I miss somebody. And so like, you know, let's talk about that. Like it's sometimes it's just a wave that comes over you and you're not necessarily sure all the time why it is, you know, and you know, even with anxiety, sometimes I'm just not sure where the anxiety is even coming from. It just appears out of nowhere. And I find myself having to manage it by breathing through it, by trying to kind of intellectualize my way through it. But sometimes you just don't know. So I think the best way to deal with these kinds of people can be just like communication. Um, and basically, I think sometimes it's also just understanding that like the communication might be that I don't really want to talk. I really just want to like chill or watch a movie or not really talk about anything. Like I just want to sit here and honestly like cry and move past this. Like, and sometimes that may be very annoying for you. And I mean, you have your right to be annoyed by that. Like I get it. Like if someone was like that all the fucking time around me, I'd be like, yo, you're a fucking killjoy, killjoy. you know? But the ups and downs of an empath, you know, you try and do your best to take that off of somebody. I try my best to not have somebody have to deal with that. You know, so that's what I tried to do for myself. But as somebody like you who's saying you're not an empath, but you're dealing with somebody in your life who is, they may not necessarily know how to do that. So maybe that becomes a conversation like on how they can, you know, how they can better control themselves because get this pro tip plot twist they want to control their emotions too and i think that was the biggest like light bulb moment for my mom was realizing like i don't like this <laughs> like i don't I, I don't like this as much as you don't like this and so my mom has become a lot like drastically more understanding of when I dip into these spaces and not so pressuring of me getting out of them on her schedule, but more so being more understanding of how to talk to me and, and meet me where I'm at so that, um, I feel heard. And a lot of times some, you know, you just want to feel heard and that makes you feel better. So on that trip, like that was, that was the turning point for my mom and I in that area of like, and for both of us, I didn't have the language of the word empath back then, but I knew like, I just feel deeply and sometimes like shit that other people might take as like a thing, like a little moment, I take it as a blow to the chest. Sometimes something that some people might say is like, oh, that's nice. I'm like moved to tears by its beauty. And these are things that make living in a nasty, shitty ass world very difficult. But as an artist, they're the things that make me a creative genius. So yes, sometimes being an empath can be draining for you and others, but it also can be the source of the gifts that you bring to others. And the work for you is knowing who, how, and when to give those gifts in a way that doesn't deplete you from being able to continue to give them. 
Star Brains Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.